Let's open our songbooks to number 79, To God Be the Glory. bank on that and that's a wonderful truth welcome everyone glad to see the smiling faces out here and those who are back that haven't been feeling well or one reason or another haven't been with us so let's begin in prayer and ask for god's continued blessing during this hour father god thank you that you are worthy of all our praise We even ask you that the world would rejoice in you, but we realize that, naturally speaking, that won't happen without Jesus Christ. Father God, I ask you that there would be many that we get to 
talk to and meet and pray for that will receive Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Father, if there is someone here today who hasn't done that or isn't sure that they've done that, I ask you, Father, that you would be the one who impresses upon them that the Holy Spirit would work in their heart and mind and draw them to make the decision sure and real today about placing faith in Jesus Christ as personal Savior, being forgiven of sin, being given eternal life and heaven as our eternal home. Father, I ask you that our fellowship would please you, that in every way you would be worshipped as we sing, as we have been and will. And Father, I thank you that we can give back to you a portion of what you've entrusted to us in giving, and that that is a form or an act that ought to be worshipped from us. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we have your word, that you've preserved it through the centuries, that we can open it and learn about you and love you the more and, and bring honor and glory to you as we ought to. Heavenly Father, I also ask you that our fellowship would be sweet in your sight. It is for us, and I thank you for each one who is here. May you be the one who's honored and glorified today as we gather in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Number 127, Wonderful Grace of Jesus. Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall its praise begin? Taking away my burden, setting my spirit free for the wonderful grace of Jesus. Preaches me, wonderful and matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea. Like a fountain, all sufficient grace for even me. Broader than the scope of my transgressions, greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus, praise his name. Wonderful grace of Jesus. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus. 
Jesus reaching the most defiled by its transforming power making him God's dear child purchasing peace and heaven for all eternity and the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. Wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea, broader than the mountain, sparkling like a fountain, all-sufficient grace for even me. for our scripture reading. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs 16, 23 through 28. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Tom. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and addeth learning to his lips. Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and heal to the bones. There is a way that seemeth might unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. He that laboreth, laboreth for himself, for his mouth craveth of him. An ungodly man diggeth up evil, and in his lips there is a burning fire. A forward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. Amen. May it not be so. Open your songbooks to number 106. How deep the Father's love for us. 
It was my sin that held him there Until it was accomplished His dying breath has brought me life I know that it is finished I will not boast in anything No gifts, no power, no wisdom But I will boast in Jesus Christ His death and resurrection Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer But this I know with all my heart His wounds have paid my ransom For those of us who are cautious about contemporary Christian music, that song was written in 1963, so in the scheme of things, it's contemporary. But what a blessed piece that is. I hope you recognized the, doctrine, the Bible doctrine in the words of a song like that. God's love for us is certainly beyond all measure, and we don't, I don't deserve it. In James chapter 3, we will once again look into this subject of spirit-controlled speech. Now, I didn't explain that last week. Maybe I better explain it a little bit before praying and then ask God to further help us understand. I mean Holy Spirit-controlled speech, okay? There are other spirits out there that we don't want to control our speech. I'm talking the Holy Spirit. That spirit that we know as the devil himself, Satan, is the father of lies. If he controls your speech, you'll be a liar. No, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, okay? We need to let the Holy Spirit control our speech. Heavenly Father, as we look into James chapter 3, we know that the subject before us is serious. Oh, Father God, I ask you that we would take it to heart, that we would apply it to our lives, that we would weigh the words we say. But, Father God, I know the words we say come from our heart, from our mind. I ask you that we would yield control of our mind and our hearts to the Holy Spirit, that we might please you in what we say and do and think in this life. May the Holy Spirit control our speech. For your honor and glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we looked at James chapter 3, just the first few verses. Today we're going to pick up at verse 5. We started in James 3 and we began to observe that James presents the tongue, that means our speech, you understand the metaphor, as very powerful. It's powerful. It can be extremely harmful if used with wrong, evil intentions. The tongue can be a great blessing to God and man, as we'll see toward the end of our passage today. 
we dare not mix the two. It should be a blessing always, not mixed with evil intent and then words that are, appear to be a blessing. The tongue is powerful, as James presents in verses 1 through 4, to direct. And in these first four verses, James illustrates this truth as an ex- you know, with an example of a bit and a bridle, which we use to direct a horse. And many of you do that. Something relatively small that can turn a horse that weighs over 500 times what that little bit weighs. Another illustration that he used is that of a rudder or a helm in verse 4, which is also relatively small compared to a ship. And last week I used the example of a Roman galley in James' day, which weighed 500 ton, and its rudder, which may have weighed a few to several hundred pounds, was also relatively small compared to that great ship, but had power to turn and direct the vessel over a thousand times its weight. I think we understand why James used these illustrations about our tongue. If a helmsman steered wrong, it could mean shipwreck for all aboard and the Roman government. <clears throat> In World War II, there was this saying, loose lips sink ships. So who is really in control of your tongue? Keep that in mind. Like a bit and a rudder, our tongue has the power to direct for good or for bad. This week in verses 5 through 12, we'll be looking at some illustrations that God's Bible penman James used. But this time, James puts the tongue into a different category altogether. Instead of presenting the tongue having power to direct, he preaches through his pen that the tongue has power to destroy. Power to destroy. Last week, I read a story named The Most Dangerous Church Member. Remember that? I think it was well written by Pastor Terry Hagdorn, and he made a powerful point with it. In verse 5, it says in James 3, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. James illustrates the fact that the tongue has power to destroy by comparing the tongue to fire. In fact, in verse 6, when he wrote, the tongue is a fire, he used a metaphor, a figure of speech that is intended to catch the reader's attention. Illustration number three, the tongue can destroy like fire. Now, we know that the folks that James wrote to could not shoot fire from their mouths like a weed burner. That wasn't what he was talking about. And he was not talking about eating Aunt Martha's hot sauce either. Although <laughs> hot sauce makes my mouth feel like it's on fire. I don't know about yours. I'm, I'm a wimp when it comes to hot sauce, you guys. I try to be gracious, but 
I'm not into hot sauce. Some of you really are, though, and I know that, and that's fine. But that's not what James was talking about. We all know that. We can easily understand the concept. Fire destroys. So can the tongue. Usually, here and there in North America, in June through September, there are forest fires, or range fires, and brush fires. Too often, in the winter, there are house fires. And have any of you lost a home to a house fire? Anybody? Wow, that's unusual. I asked that question years ago, and yes, there were some. You know of people who've lost homes to house fires, and it was devastating for them. There is so much lost. I remember when the parsonage at First Baptist Church in Marion burnt to the ground. We were driving by. It was below zero temperatures. I was on the school bus. Juanetta was young enough not to be on the bus yet, but us guys yelled at the bus driver and told him to stop, and we burst out of the bus and ran to the parsonage and knocked on the door. I don't know why we didn't just burst in, but Pastor and Mrs. Markley were eating breakfast. They didn't even know, and we got them out of the house. They were in their robes still. It was early. And then we tried to pull things out of the house to save what we could. As dumb teenage boys, we got the refrigerator out and the stove out. And <laughs> there was one last person just before the roof collapsed still inside. And it was my dad. I didn't know he saw the fire as he was going to work, but he did. And he was in Pastor Markley's study, throwing books out through the door opening and pictures. Good for my dad. But people lose so much in a fire. Beware of our tongues, dear friends. If that's all we get out of this today, that would be enough, I suppose. So let's think about this. How does a fire get started? I have four, I know there are more ways than that, but four that I'd like to just suggest. A lightning strike. You've seen fires started by lightning strikes, haven't you? Suddenly, as the wind begins to blow and a storm builds out of the sky, flies to earth this bolt of lightning, and then what? The clap of thunder which follows is frightening, isn't it? Yep. Even for the animals. A tree may be split and then kindled. Somewhere in that tree may be just enough spark to start a fire Not big at first, but a fire that spreads. Have you heard a word spoken like that? Yeah. I uh, have a book here that I brought with me, published by the U.S. Forest Service, and it's When the Mountains Roared, Stories of the 1910 Fires. Some of you have heard about those fires. They affected Lincoln County, a great deal. The Yak and Sylvanite was a town that was completely destroyed and others all the way to Wallace, Idaho and beyond. Here are some excerpts from that little booklet. It's known among firefighters as the Big Blow Up and was a forest fire that consumed forest land all the way from Lincoln County down the Bitterroot and across North Idaho 
even in northeast Washington, it destroyed 3 million acres of timberland in two days. The estimate is 7 to 8 billion board feet of merchantable timber were lost. 87 people lost their lives in the fire, mostly firefighters. And it remains the largest fire in North American history. It was the deadliest event for firefighters until September 11, 2001. Did you know that the average lightning flash lasts only one quarter of a second? Many lightning flashes can produce the equivalent of 10,000 volts. On most of our mission building projects, the Janungs were on a couple together with us. I had to hire a lightning protection engineer who would design a system to protect the building from lightning strikes. Usually our lightning rod was up in the steeple. (laughs) That makes sense, doesn't it? Lightning fires can destroy trees and grasslands and churches too, dear friend. So, that's, that's one illustration of how a fire can get started. There is some more unobservable, for example, spontaneous combustion. Have any of you observed that before? Okay, I have. Juanetta and I have. Tom has. Silently, where there's no noise, there's no fanfare, way different than a lightning strike. We were building Gateway Baptist Church in Ketchikan, Alaska, and after spraying the whole building, painting the whole building, I had everybody mask off the windows and doors when I did a lot of that, and then after spraying the whole building, we removed all of that masking and plastic and tape and all of that and stuffed it in a garbage can down on the main floor and we were all worn out it was a long day and we went to bed and in the middle of the night we were only a few hundred not even a hundred yards away we were 50 yards away Juanetta said I hear a noise she woke me up and I don't hear things in the night I sleep really sound most of the time (laughs) without hearing anything and I asked her what's it sound like and she said it sounds like a bell I instantly knew that water was flowing in the building because we had a flow alarm on the sprinkler system and it rattled a bell when water flowed. And so, wow, did we get up quickly. And I went and looked in a window with a flashlight and sure enough, it was smoke on the backside of that window. So I knew not to add air to it and did not open a door down low I ran around to the fire escape up to the second level and opened that door and smoke billowed out. And I closed it and we called the fire department and they were, by the way, I don't know if any of the (laughs) McGee's or the Leeby's ever worked as a volunteer in the Ketchikan Fire Department. That's the best fire department on earth as far as I'm concerned. They really did a good job and it didn't destroy the building. Praise God that that was put out quickly. This one sprinkler head did the majority of the work and their their crew was really good. 
and they set fans after making sure the fire was out and clean, emptied the building out with smoke. And of course, we had to repaint and I had to do some repair on the floor where the garbage can had been. It had even burnt through one floor joist. Anyway, spontaneous combustion is totally different than lightning strike, isn't it? It's silent, it's sneaky. It almost destroyed a church, if you will. One man asked me if I had the recipe for spontaneous combustion, and I looked at him and I said, what do you have in mind? (laughs) Here's another possible source for a fire, and that would be a small spark. It can be from um, an electrical circuit or even the... uh, winding on an electric motor. It can spread and grow and grow until it destroys a whole city. In, I'll read this. A fire reportedly started in O'Leary Barn in Chicago back in those days. A small spark in the O'Leary Barn at 8.30 p.m. October 8, 1871. And because that fire spread, over 100,000 people were put out of their homes. 17,500 buildings were destroyed. And 300 people died in the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. It cost the city back then over $400 million just from a spark. And then there is arson, a fourth cause. In U.S. law, arson is defined as the act of willfully, maliciously setting fire to a house or building or other property. Arson is the leading cause of fires in the United States. Each year, an estimated 267,000 fires are attributed to arson which result in $1.4 billion in property loss and cause over 2,000 injuries and 475 deaths annually on the average. As a result, arson prevention and investigation have become the focus of increased attention within the federal government, the fire service, and the criminal justice system. It's one of the leading causes of death in the United States is arson. And there are people that intentionally start a fire with their tongue in churches, in families, in other settings. Now, how does a fire get started? These four, I suggest, and there are more than that. How does a fire spread? Well, here are a few ways. All of us who start campfires and wood stoves know that a fire started with a tinder. We know that. Small kindling is added and then larger kindling and eventually split firewood and eventually whole rounds or full rounds. The obvious truth is that a fire spreads from small to large, from one material to another. What does a fire... um, What does the fire consume and destroy? It, of course, wood and paper and cardboard. And, of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we have wood, hay, and stubble used there, but that's a different subject. 
They're burnt up. What about plastics and urethane and rubber? Now that's hot when they catch fire. They really do. Up the road here a few years ago, there were some guys burning with some brush in April, which we do. I'm sorry, they were burning grasses and brush in April. And we sometimes do that. And the breeze carried it out of their sight. But there was a horse trailer sitting at the top of the hill back here. And those tires caught fire. And I saw that from the church building here. And I went up to see why the black smoke. And yeah, we pulled the horse trailer out of the... I hooked onto it with our pickup. and pull, I didn't know if you knew that one, Etta. <laughs> and pulled it out of the grass. But that... I unhooked as quickly as I could. That thing was red hot on the back end and it burnt to the ground. I mean, they lost that whole horse trailer because of those tires. So it spreads to different material too. For a new church building that we're going to be building, Lord willing, this summer, there are many things to consider as far as fire ratings, aren't there, Sean? We have, of course, Type X a drywall in the plan and UL listings and a fire barrier and all of that. that is, that's just part of it. Almost all materials come with an ASTM flame spread rating, by the way. You probably don't read those things, but sometimes we have to. The fire marshal will not allow, for example, carpet on the walls to dampen any sound. Do you know why? Because it isn't rated for vertical application. It's fire spreads too quickly. So you have to have special materials if you want a sound barrier on a vertical surface. Steel, by the way, fails faster than wood in a structure fire. Many of you know that. Masonry is still the best fire-resistant construction material, and it has been so for millennia. (laughs) The truth is, as fire spreads and grows in heat, it can consume and destroy almost anything. And our Bibles liken our tongues to a fire, dear Christian. Proverbs 60, I'm sorry, Proverbs 26, verse 20 say, says, where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So if you hear something that could destroy, don't participate. Don't add to the flame. Put it out. As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to, con- to kindle strife. Proverbs 16, verse 27 says, An ungodly man diggeth up evil, And in his lips there is as a burning fire. The Bible's full of this. But by the way, James is called the Proverbs of the New Testament because of these things. You know what? The Bible is a timeless book, isn't it? It applies to every generation. God's truths are for all ages. James knew that the Christian in his day needed to heed those things And God knew that Christians in 2024 need to change some things as well. James' words in verse 6 are so true. The tongue setteth on fire the course of nature. Fiery words can destroy a home. Fiery words can destroy a Sunday school class or a church. And as a fire 
can spread and spread and destroy more and more so. It is with the tongue. A person's entire life can be injured and ruined and destroyed by the tongue. Warren Worsby wrote, Time does not correct the sins of the tongue. We may confess our sins of speech, but the fire keeps on spreading. James 3 verse 6 uses the word course, and in Greek it's trakos, and it literally means a circuit of physical effects. A circuit of physical effects. In other words, one effect leads to another and does not stop. It keeps on going until everything is affected. The source of the fire from the tongue What does James say in verse 6? It is set on fire of hell. Hell is the source of the use of the tongue in that manner. In other words, what James is saying is the devil himself, who deserves and will occupy hell, is given credit by James as the source of this fiery tongue. In John 8, verse 44, Jesus said, Satan is a liar and the father of it. Certainly, we need to be careful. What or how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Not only can the tongue destroy like fire, but here's a second illustration James uses. The tongue can destroy like poison. The tongue can destroy like poison? Verses 7 and 8 say, For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Um, James reminds the Bible student that creatures on land, in the air, And in the water can be controlled by man, can be tamed to a degree. God told Adam in Genesis 1, starting at verse 28, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. God also told Noah, in Genesis chapter 9, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air and upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. God made it so. One of the characteristics that man has been given by God is a a dominion over this earth. We have a responsibility, a stewardship, if you will, to care for this whole earth in a right way. Now, I'm not an advocate of eco stuff. You know that. But we do need to be reasonable and responsible. Psalm 8, verses 6 and 7 says, Thou madest him, that's man, to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. James knew that and and used that as an example. Even to a degree, our grizzly bear here can be controlled by man, right? 
to a degree. Yeah, we have them trapped and try to relocate them and all of that stuff. We try to... Sometimes it's successful and sometimes it's not. And of course, as little cubs, they can be tamed, if you will. And a lot of us are old enough to have seen Gentle Ben, right? Yeah, we did. That was a real grizzly bear, by the way. So, can fish, birds... Well, any of you have a pet bird? Anybody? A lot of us, okay. <laughs> yes, you do. And it's, a pe- it's nice, isn't it? Yeah. And we, a lot of us have dogs and cats and things like that. Even snakes can be controlled to a degree. Did you know that? I've never gotten involved in that, and I think it's ridiculous. I have heard of... Now, by the way, some people think all Baptists are the same, right? Well, no, no, we're not. I've heard of Baptists in the South, I mean, all the way down Louisiana way, that are snake handlers. And it's somehow part of their identity, if you will. Well, I'm not that kind of Baptist. (laughs) I believe the Bible, and I hope they do too, but I don't know where they get this idea of snakes. Anyway, I mean... um, if the tongue is not tamed, that's the idea. James is saying it needs to be tamed. It is as deadly as the bite of a venomous reptile or spider. That's what James is telling us. The Janungs and Juanetta and I remember the crankshaws in Florida. And by the way, they weren't cranky people, but they had a name like that, crankshaws. Well, Mr. Crankshaw was bit by a brown recluse spider. And... He was hospitalized and almost died. It put stress on his heart. And many of you that have experience with these things know that. I met a man, a couple actually, who've been bitten by rattlers. Anybody know somebody that's been bit by a rattler? Okay, all right. Well, here's how it happens if it's a bite on the hand. The hand often will turn black and then part of the arm will also turn black and then decay and it spreads and often amputation is necessary to save the person's life. The brown snake in Australia is known as the world's most deadly snake and victims usually die and they die a violent death, I guess. So what happens when a poisonous creature bites a person? Number one, there's a small mark at first, just a small little thing. Okay? They might not notice it for hours or even part of a day until it starts to itch. Mr. Crankshaw didn't know he was bit by a spider and then while he was working in his garden, didn't even know. Number two, infection and poison spreads to the surrounding tissues. That's why some of them look like a target. So beware if you have a bite like that. Infection and poison starts to show where it's visible and cause pain around the bite site and infection and poison causes decay, sometimes gangrene sets in and infection and poison spreads into the vascular system. That's when it's really serious. Now the victim starts to feel very sick, weak, miserable and starts to run a fever and you have a hard time breathing and thinking and it even affects their heart like Mr. Crankshaw. Next, the stress to the organs like the heart and kidneys and liver and circulatory system is compromised to the point the person is in danger of imminent death. 
I know there are ways of treating this, but it's still serious. And James uses this illustration. If the tongue isn't tamed, it's like poison. Just from one small bite, a poisonous one. I was going to talk a little bit about the difference between a king snake and a coral snake. Do you guys know what that is? What's that? That's right. Red on black is okay, Jack. That's right. They all have three colors, if you will. Both king snakes and um, those, I'm sorry, coral snakes. <clears throat> we, we think a little about, about an innocent word. I want to talk briefly about an innocent word. Is it really innocent? Is idle talk really innocent? Or can it be poison too? Of course it can. When we were in Florida, the kids found a snake in the grass and asked Matt to come and catch it for them. And so we put it in a bucket and I carried it up to the church building. It was a rat snake. And they're supposed to be innocent and not harmful to humans. Now, of course, they can kill rats. But anyway, they wanted to see it. And so I reached down and the other kids wanted to see it. So I reached down in the bucket to get it behind the head and pick it up and it got me right here and my whole thumb went numb I didn't know it would do that was it innocent was it fine for humans no it really wasn't either Jesus said but I say unto you that every idle word that man shall speak they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment be careful what we say idle words can do damage like poison as well. And so like a fire, poisonous words start small and spread and cause more and more pain and destruction. They can destroy lives. They can destroy families. They can destroy churches. They can destroy towns or communities. One Ed and I were in a community in Alaska where there was a bad rift. There were two halves to town. One family owned half the businesses, the other family owned the other half of the businesses. And because I bought gravel from one gravel pit, I was not allowed, Juanetta and I, were not allowed to buy anything from the other businesses in town. They can destroy towns and communities and even countries. Dr. William Barclay has written, there is nothing so impossible to kill a rumor. There is nothing so impossible to obliterate as an idle and malignant story. Let a man, therefore, or before he speaks, remember that once a word is spoken, it is gone from his control. And let him think before he speaks, because although he cannot get it back, he will most certainly answer for it. Yes, we will. I know this is a serious passage in our Bibles, isn't it? But let's... I'm glad this isn't a an imminent problem among Valley Baptist Church. But there are churches out there that this would really hit home. Let's make sure that this doesn't happen here, okay? Next week, we'll pick up this chapter back up at verse 9 and see that wonderful third category that Jesus presents. A wonderful one? Yes. The tongue can have power to delight. It can. So let's remember this. The tongue cannot be tamed by man. 
I know I just talked about that, right? Is that a conflict? But it can be tamed by God. That's the point. We need to have a spirit-controlled tongue. Does the Holy Spirit control your tongue? Does the Holy Spirit control my tongue? I'll tell you, as I've prepared this and reviewed it, I've thought, how about what I say? Your tongue need not be set on fire of hell, dear friend. It can be used of God, controlled by God, and used as a powerful tool for the winning of the lost and the building up of the church, for the edification of your family and your relationships, and for the betterment even in our community. The tongue is, it needs to be directed and tamed by the Holy Spirit. It, of course, is important that you keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life, as Proverbs 4, verse 23 says. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Matthew 12, verse 34. So how is your heart? Are you sure you're a child of God? Make sure of that today. Last week I did give an invitation and then also a challenge. I'll take a moment and do something like that also, but we need to make sure we're a child of God and then we need to let God the Holy Spirit tame and direct and control what we say. But that starts in the heart and in the mind. We need to yield our mind and hearts to the Lord God himself. Are there some changes to your heart and my heart, your tongue and my tongue that need to take place? Maybe. Dear friend, give your heart and your tongue to the Lord. Let him have all of it and total control. Maybe you need to make that commitment before God today. I'd like to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes just for a moment. If that is a matter that needs to be true in your life to give your whole heart and your whole tongue to the Lord and let him have total control of it. And you'd like for me to pray for you that way. Would you please slip your hand up? Is there anyone? Okay? Okay? Maybe there's somebody here who isn't absolutely sure they're born again, haven't made sure that they have heaven as their home and sin forgiven. And you'd like to talk with me about that. Would you please slip your hand up also? Is there anyone? I will talk with you one-on-one about that. Okay, let's pray. And then we'll be dismissed after a song. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I do thank you that you have given us instruction in your word, like James chapter 3, that applies to us personally and corporately. And Father God, for those of us who are committing our whole heart and our whole tongue to you, I ask you that you would enable us to make that real day in and day out in our lives as we wait for our Savior to return and to take us up to be with him. But Lord God, we have the opportunity now to affect others in a good way, in a positive way, and I ask you that 
that would be our determination every day as we get up and that you would also enable us to do that. That we would use our tongues for delight and good. Those things that bring honor to you. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As we close in song, I'd like for us to stand, open our songbooks to 450, O to be like thee. Number 450, O to be like thee. Everybody stand. Open your songbooks to 450, please. Sing this. Sing this as a prayer. like thee, blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures, Jesus I perfect likeness to wear. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, Blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art, come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. Oh, to be like thee, full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender and kind. Helping the helpless, cheering the fainting, seeking the wandering sinner to find. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness, come in thy Thine own image deep on my heart. Oh, to be like thee while I am pleading, pour out thy spirit, fill with thy love. Make me a temple, me for thy dwelling, fit me for life in heaven above. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. Hope you all can make it up to Mountain View Manor later this afternoon. Have a blessed day.